0: The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner.
1: Welcome into episode two, something of the Natural Hat Trick podcast, alongside Jamie Eisner, the Natty Hattie. I'm Luke Lipinski. No, Craig Morgan here today. He is on his uh, summer vacation. Um, this is not going to be a full episode of the show. This is mainly just because we haven't done a show in almost a full month uh for me i mean there's been a lot going on obviously around the world and so um and jamie you can jump in or you can you know retort or whatever but for me it just it didn't feel right doing a show the last couple weeks with everything that was going on it sort of seemed insignificant also there hasn't been hockey going on so there's been a lot of reasons why we haven't done the show lately but we just wanted to do one quickly today to let you know we are still doing this podcast because for yes. the longest time, for four years, we didn't miss a week. And obviously things are weird. Unless I lost an episode. Yes. Well, I Jamie's lost an lost episode it. here and there, but frequent episodes. We were trying to figure this out the other day, though. I think our first episode
0: was September of 2015, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The farthest back I can find, and I'm sure somebody else can, if they are really, really bored right now during quarantine, can go back and find it. But the oldest one I could find, archived Still Online, was episode 40 from July 4th, uh, 2016, which, believe it or not, and you can go back and listen to it, I think it's like on Podbean or something. Um, Wow where it goes all the way back to that episode. And that was the Hall for Larson one-for-one one trade analysis <laughs> uh, of when that just broke. Uh, and by the way, if you listen to it, it holds up well. Everything we said turned out to be true because anybody that had half a brain that wasn't named Peter Schiarelli could have seen that that was going to end in complete utter disaster, which it did. That was back before uh, I had a way to normalize the audio
1: and back when Craig stood so far away couch? from Like, like yes. far
0: away from everything, yeah.
1: He is actually closer to the mic right now in this week's episode when he's in a different state than he was back then when we recorded and he was in the studio. Um, So, yeah, we're going to keep doing these, obviously. And hopefully, hopefully things pick up in a couple weeks with phase three of the NHL's plan to come back. Now, complications, obviously, this week, but I think that they were the sort of complications that the league had to know were going to happen at some point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big reason why they haven't changed anything, and why they said everything is still going forward as is. We'll see it depending on the the quantity of other players. Uh, the way it worked out, or something like five or six percent of the players that they tested tested positive. Uh, we're not sure outside of the name that's been then uh, leaked out about Austin Matthews um, and him quarantining out here in Arizona. We had, they have not released any of the other names, and you know we'll see if any of those that leak out. That part's not as important of who as much as it is hopefully this is the worst of it. Uh, I have some fears that it's not just because considering uh, some of the areas, particularly Arizona, for those of you listening uh, and Florida um, where the NBA is cor- currently about to get things going are, are major hotspots right now. So there, there are going to be some complications in this, in this process as we are seeing the entire sports world between clubs and football players and Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ezekiel Elliott and Austin Matthews. And you're seeing all of these, these reports and, again they're not it's not unexpected the question is is can it be contained in enough time to feel safe coming back to play full time because when you're in a you know we've talked about this in previous episodes we talked about flu games a lot and yeah. in just how the flu itself passes through locker rooms and and how it can ravage a team for you know a week or two well that same sort of idea is how this could spread as well so hopefully uh, getting all of these players tested now and getting the players whether asymptomatic or not quarantined uh, leads to them having a lot more confidence to in these games going, but there are still a lot more hurdles between now uh, and the league coming back. So we'll see. Yeah. The flu point is a good point because for the longest time, professional athletes
1: have been told like, Hey, if you're sick, you just go out there and play through it. And sometimes we've seen guys have great games playing through the flu. You just kind of get in that zone where, you know, it is sometimes like you've got a cold or whatever, and none of this is the same, but like you have a cold, you don't really want to talk to people, but maybe if you feel better ice skating oddly enough or whatever. So, this is not that this is not a cold, so this is going to be completely different if if somebody tests positive, you know they're not going to be able to play so i I do just i'm going to take the wait and see approach with how any of these leagues handle, yeah, a few of our guys tested positive like right now, you know you can look at it and say hopefully everybody's okay in two weeks, and you know the season isn't starting for more than two weeks anyway. What happens when a few guys test positive in the middle of the playoffs? How does the league handle it? The thing I would say about hockey is. You know, We're seeing this with hockey and basketball and baseball right now. Hockey is the one that it seems like the virus could stop them from playing out the rest of the season, but it seems like, relatively, the owners and players are all on the same page that they want to play. The NBA, they kind of go back and forth, but to me, the NBA, it's because of a cause. Baseball, it just seems like they're arguing about money
0: yeah that I' say each sport has their own their own issues and, and look, I understand the the overall point of if you're you're looking at this from a risk adverse approach that pro athletics in general don't cater to that idea um, yeah. in terms of personal health. but the thing is this is a bigger decision than just oh, some players could be sick. you know a, a, somebody brought up a really great point of there are yes, for the most part the they are young. Uh, in the best shape of their lives and have access to excellent health care and have the money to have access to even more excellent health care that might be provided for them by their team. But there are also players like Steven Stamkos, who has a history of blood clots, or Max Stomi, who is diabetic, that it's not quite that simple. And getting contracting this, this virus could prove to be, you know, it could prove to end an ICU visit uh, for for one of these players. So it becomes a very complicated issue on that front. And there's also some, there are also political things and and quite frankly, legalities that are tied to all this as well. Because ultimately in the end, you know, as we've always talked about, everything at some point comes down to money. And it comes down to legal obligations and what waivers you're going to sign. And we've seen college programs that want players to sign waivers uh, to yeah. come uh, to come back, and you know, absolving the school of any any potential wrongdoing or any liability for a lawsuit if players get sick. So there are a lot of things that go into this beyond just the idea of them wanting to play and the owners wanting them to play, but. Uh, I remain I remain cautiously hopeful um, that we'll have sports come back, knowing that it is selfishly something that I would really like to see, uh, but I understand that in the scope of things, it is not the most important thing in the world, uh, but hopefully we get to see it, but hopefully... As these players continue to be tested and players that are testing positive are quarantined for a while, that they can at least inside of their hockey and basketball bubbles that they're basically going to be in uh, for the couple months stretch of both of the league's postseasons, seasons, that, that we can get through that without anybody uh, anybody being exposed. And again, this goes to the other concern I have about this, too, is what about coaches? What about training staff? I mean, we always think about the, you know the 25-year-old player in the best shape of his life, but the NHL doesn't have any other, any restrictions in terms of who can be around from an age restriction or whatnot of coaches. And, you know, that, I don't know. So there's there's just a lot of things that go into it, but we won't delve too much into that sad stuff because that's honestly just surrounding us in the world right now. But um, I'm consciously hopeful uh, that we can get to that point. And it's just that yesterday was not a great day. Yesterday being Friday, June 19th was not a great day for the sports world in terms of uh, getting back to live American sports in 2020.
1: And you know, to your point of there are bigger things out there than sports. Like I am, I am I'm confident that all of these leagues are going to try it here in the next couple months. I, I am cautiously optimistic, like you said. To me, the bigger thing is what does next season look like for hockey fans? I mean, I hope I hope that we're at a point by whatever January where we can have fans back in the arenas. They're a huge part of all these sports, but especially maybe I'm biased, but especially in hockey. But I don't want it done unless it's safe. Um, but yeah as much as there are bigger things out there than sports, certainly, and you have to put safety first. I do think that our country and I guess maybe the world in general could really use some sports right now, just because it, they are unifying in a different sort of way. And everything right now seems to be such an argument over such serious things. So like you said, we don't need to get into all that, but I do think sports would have more of a value than just I'm bored and I want to watch a hockey game for two hours. I think that we could use some, some unifying, uh, something to unify us right now. Uh, before we wrap up, this always unifies us. Let's just make fun of the Buffalo Sabres for a few minutes. This is Jamie's yeah. personal favorite pastime, and they make it so easy that I want to jump in too. Not only do they make changes at the NHL level, which is fine. I don't think it was Jason Botterell's fault that they've been terrible since like we were born, but they cleared out the Rochester <laughs> AHL team too that was good. They cleared out their their – it just feels like a – complete overhaul for the sake of doing a complete overhaul, but they haven't done anything in the last 10 years to make me think they know what they're doing starting now.
0: Yeah. And the timing is, is a bit suspect. Um, I wonder if the, the, the scale in which they made the bagulas made these decisions had anything to do with the fact that they are not playing hockey right now. And the same revenue streams aren't coming through um, in that area as they would normally would be, because obviously they own a few different Buffalo sports organizations um, look this from a, from a 30,000 foot view, this is an organization that needs top to bottom change. Um, and maybe that starts with, you know, the owners looking in the mirror as well. Um, they're, they're, you don't, you don't get to be absolved from all of this. So you're, you're calling the shots at the end of the day. It's your paycheck. It's your, you know, you're signing the paychecks, you're making those calls, but you know, this is an organization that flat out embarrassed themselves a few years back in their, in their effort to, win the Connor McDavid sweepstakes uh, to the point where not that they embarrassed themselves because they were bad because they were, trust me, but uh, in their efforts to just not even pretend like they were trying to be a competitive hockey team, uh, which was, and they were rewarded in some way, not by Connor McDavid at least, but they they got Jack Eichel and then nothing changed because the yeah. building a culture of losing is a lot harder to break uh, than just one great player. Uh, even Edmonton had to figure that out, and they have two great players, and it's harder to build that culture. But they're finally, maybe, hopefully, starting to kind of come out of that out of that spot there under under Dave Tippett, but and with Peter Chiarelli gone. But it, 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 I, I got to throw that jab in there. That's your second Chiarelli jab in less than a ten minute podcast. But it, it's like this is a team that has really struggled to develop top talent that they've drafted. This is a team that's struggled to have success even with hitting on guys like Jack Eichel, even with getting, you know, a career year from Jeff Skinner a couple of years ago. It's just, it's a team that has a lot of work to do. And so I understand wanting to make organizational changes. I'm not quite sure why it extends all the way down to the AHL all the way that they did um, then making these wholesale changes. But it, look, I never root for anybody to lose their jobs, especially right now, because it, look, there, there's one. it's one thing to say a GM that they're making pretty good money. They typically have connections, and they will land on their feet in some sort of front office role, if not another GM role. And, uh, and I definitely think Bottereau will.
1: I definitely. I mean, I don't yes. know that, like, I'm just going to use Pittsburgh as an example. I don't know that they would bring him back as the GM because he, I mean, he obviously did struggle in Buffalo, but it's not like Jim Rutherford's going to be the GM in Pittsburgh forever. And for the longest time, Bottereau was the it guy around the NHL. Of Like, like this is going to be the next yeah. GM, the next great GM for one of these teams.
0: There just aren't many of those guys. We've talked about this on the show for a couple of years. Like, they're the GMs in waiting crew. Uh, you know, for a while it was Baderel. Before that, was like Tree Living. But like, there aren't usually a lot. They're always recy- them in the coaching. Unfortunately, just recycles the same, you know, group of thirty-five names, and thirty yeah. of them already have, or thirty-one of them already have jobs. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel for more of the whenever these happen, and it, the same thing that happens when coaching staffs get fired. You know, in in hockey or in football or anything else, it's always the the, the lower men and women on the totem pole that lose their jobs that, you know, might not get another shot, that they might their, their NHL careers might be done or their ability to make a, a livable wage uh, might be done. So I never feel, you know, I never want to root for these things, but I understand why these moves were made on on the NHL level. It's not necessarily Bottle's fault, but there is also comes a time when you have to make decisions because of your organization is in such a bad spot, that you have to make wholesale changes, and sometimes that means – you know, uh, losing B-level people um, just to see if you can hopefully get A-level people uh, in, into your system. So, uh, Bottero will, will get another job at some point, even if it's an assistant GM for in, the, in the short term. But, look, but something's got to change in Buffalo. And it's not. this is not going to be the BL. And also, you don't throw your hands up and go, oh, okay, well, they fixed everything now. That's clearly not the case. But no. I, I wasn't say I was, I was shocked by the scale of the firings. I wasn't shocked that there were firings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's probably the best way to put it. I mean, they, they can't keep coasting along like they were doing. And look, Sabres fans are bitter and jaded, but they have every right to be. And there's been a lot of them in the last you know few weeks since this format was announced to say they're letting 24 of the 31 teams in this year's playoffs. And we're still not in the playoffs, and they've had a ton of very high picks. We've said this on the show before. Edmonton got ridiculed all those years for having the number one overall pick, and it got absurd when they were able to get McDavid. They didn't deserve him, and and that's nobody's ever going to change my mind on that, but at least Edmonton did try that year. Buffalo, like you said, embarrassed themselves trying to get Connor McDavid, and also they kind of got a pass getting the second overall pick in a lot of these years and they've just done nothing with it. And Jack Eichel is doing everything you could ask at a certain point. If he's not already there, he's going to get fed up. So I get the mentality of we've got to change something before our star player gets fed up. But I just don't know. I don't trust what they're doing until I've actually seen better results. Before we wrap up the NHL draft lottery is in less than a week. So by the the time we record our next podcast, Who's gonna have the number one overall pick? Detroit. Probably Buffalo after
0: all this. <laughs> no, nah, Detroit. You
1: think Detroit will get
0: it? Yeah, I think if there's any year for things to just be like the the basic answer is the right answer, I think it's gonna be Detroit. It's gonna be weird if if like a spot in those top twenty four
1: teams, but like the bottom eight, if one of those ends up winning or is eligible to win, like the draft lottery is gonna be very strange this year with yes. it happening halfway before the actual playoffs start. So if Detroit just wins the lottery, then okay, we'll have some more clarity. If it's like a team that's going to lose in the playoffs, it has a chance to get the number one pick. That's going to get really confusing for everyone. Well,
0: and that's where the the tinfoil hat thing comes out. Of I think the league doesn't want that no, to happen at all. There's so no if way. there's any way to kind of just keep the the hand, you know, keep the top three amongst the handful of teams that we already know don't get a chance to compete for any sort of play in game, uh, I yeah. think that's what's most likely going to happen it's of the seven that are
1: down there. I mean, is there one that benefits the league more to get Lafreniere than somebody else? Some of these teams like Buffalo and New Jersey, they've had their, their chances. You know, they've New Jersey's had the number one pick a couple of times. Now, Buffalo, like we said, is always picking top two. It feels like if I'm the NHL, I, the other teams are Ottawa, Detroit, Anaheim, LA, and San Jose. I'd rather yeah.
0: LA or Detroit got him. I guess. Oh, again, I, I mean, I like Lafreniere a lot, but I don't think he's, uh, I, don't, I don't, he's not a McDavid. He's not an Eichel. He's not an Austin Matthews. He, yeah. he's, he's very good. He's a very he's going to be a great wing, but uh, I, I think it would, if we talk about like what team needs to bounce back the best, you know, obviously I, I think the answer is actually Detroit. Yeah, I think it is. I think yeah. the, the red wings being good is good for hockey. I know that that phrase, but uh, because like the front is not going to turn around the Kings or the, or the ducks or where the, you know, where the sharks are, are going or nothing's going to turn around the senators. So, uh, no. you know, I, I don't know if there's like a best case scenario. I just think the best case scenario for the league as a whole is not to have a, a top lottery spot hung up for something. So, are, are you going to tell us what the what seed it's going to be? Are the teams going to go into these rounds knowing that if they lose this round, they could yeah, get they a get top. The first they, pick. they would get that like would it be like oh, okay, well, it's going to be the seed that Montreal has. So, if they lose in the first round, which they're going to to Pittsburgh, they will automatically get the number two the number two overall pick. Players don't tank, but like things get weird. That's all yeah, I'm saying.
1: That, that would exactly no player, especially, and I think this is why the NHL has so many players on board to try and come back if they can do it safely, is because all of the teams coming back in the NHL have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Like at least in their minds, as competitors, if they win the games, they'll win the Stanley Cup. So it's not like Montreal would go into a series being like, "Hey, if we lose, we'll get Lafernier But I, you don't want that hanging over the series when they're down two nothing in the series or whatever. So, I mean, look, I don't want him going to a team in the Coyotes division, certainly. But like you said, I don't really want him going to Ottawa because there's only so much he can do, and I'm sick of New Jersey and Buffalo getting high picks. Detroit, I may or may not have rewatched the Penguins Red Wings 2009 Stanley Cup twice in the last week—the game six and seven. Detroit used to be like a team you feared, and Coyotes fans know this back in the in the early 2010s when the Coyotes played them in the playoffs a couple of times when they were in the Western Conference. Now you forget they're in the league, so <laughs> they grew old all at the same time. They did and they wasted so much time. Even back when we first started this podcast, we were asking their beat writers about stuff like this. They were so committed to keeping that making the playoff streak alive and then getting swept by Boston in the first round that they didn't they didn't rebuild when they should have. They were a minus one twenty two in goal differential this season through seventy one games, and it feels like they're not in the league. So I'm with you that I, I, I hate that phrase when like you hear it in the NBA, like, Oh, the NBA needs the the Knicks to be good or the, like No, they don't. But it's better for the NHL if Detroit is not an embarrassment. And Detroit, just to put this in perspective, in case we've all forgotten, was 32 points behind Ottawa for
0: thirtieth in the NHL. And they were trying. I mean, I watched I watched a sorry. fair amount of Red Wings games. I bet against them a lot, yeah. um, like they <laughs> probably are right a lot. Uh, but they're just they're just abysmal. Like they're just they they that this is this that is the worst team I think I have watched. Not like, like I've watched since I've become a fan. Yeah, like they're up there with those that that Coyotes team, that Avalanche team from a few years back. I think they're worse than either one of those teams I think were. They are too. I really do. And I'm, I i do not want to
1: shortchange them. They were not 32 points worse than Ottawa. They were 23 points. But in terms of goal differential, like I said, a minus 122. The next worst team in the entire NHL was minus 52. So they were 70 goals worse than the 30th team. So yeah, they probably do deserve to uh, to win. All right, we said we were going to do this quick, and it ended up being about 20 minutes. But Jamie thanks for uh, for hopping on. We will be back. I don't know if it'll be in a week, it might be in a couple weeks, but assuming everything goes according to plan, phase three of the NHL's uh, return would be July 10th. so I would imagine we'll have something around there if everything stays on schedule. Anything, Dad? Nope, all good. i'm gonna I'm gonna leave this show with a compliment actually. Oh, I like your hat. Thank you. It is I feel a, like it's a Sun Devil's hat. St- you stole it from somebody with better fashion sense, I would assume, but it's nice. Again, it's a that, so hat. I stole it from anybody else in the world? Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm sure. You stole it from anybody. <laughs> All right. Thanks to uh, to uh, Jamie Eisner. For Craig Morgan, wherever he is, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.